Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello, hello. This is Heather Mulder, host of the Life in Law Podcast, and I'm so excited to have you with me here today because we have a guest talking about some of the challenges that she sees lawyers dealing with when it comes to business development. Welcome, Marianne Lee. Thank you, Heather. I'm so excited to be here with you. So why don't you first start with a little bit of a background, who you are, what you do, and how you got started in um, this industry. You know, why is it you chose to work with lawyers in this way? (laughs) Yes, I'm happy to share my background. It is a bit of a winding road, so come along for the ride here. I will start directly out of college. I was planning to go to law school and took a job at a small law firm in Texas with about 40 attorneys while I was studying for my LSATs. And then I, somewhere along the way, realized I do not actually want to be one of these attorneys. <laughs> and so, But I still support the idea of lawyers very much. And so what's another way I can work with them? And so I was a legal secretary for a couple of years and was figuring all of this out. When I moved to Washington, D.C. in 2004, I actually interviewed for a legal secretary position at a large international law firm. And I often credit the woman who interviewed me with my whole career because she was interviewing me and somewhere along the way said, you know, we have another position that we've just created. And I wonder if you might be interested in it. It's called attorney development assistant. And I said, yes, absolutely. What is that? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and so uh, coming from a 40 attorney firm, we, we didn't have a role like that, but it was exactly what I wanted to do. It was attorney training, mentorship, other aspects of professional development. And so I spent a few years there before relocating back to Texas in 2007. There weren't a lot of PD roles in Texas firms at that time. And so I transitioned into legal marketing and business development Mm -hmm. at an AMLA 200 firm. Okay. And then spent the next eight years or so working with attorneys and attorney groups on strategic marketing plans, implementing business development efforts. And pretty early on in that work, I realized that, as you well know, marketing and business development skills are not taught in law school. (laughs) And so it became very clear that there was a way to marry my two focus um, roles at that time to say, you know, I have the PD experience. Now I've got the legal marketing and business development knowledge and experience Let's put these two together. And so in 2014, I created an associate business development training program at that firm, ran that for a few years, continued to work in both PD and BD roles over the next few years, returned to big law for a while, and in 2020, became a certified professional coach. 
present day, earlier this year, I joined Offit Herman as their director of development programming. And in that role, I focus completely on business development training and individual coaching. And I consider myself very fortunate to have a job that I love working with attorneys to grow their business. It's interesting that you started off thinking you were doing one thing, ended up somewhere else, then interviewed for a position thinking you'd be doing something. And then somebody else said, no, actually, (laughs) I think you'd be good at this. And that is what really got your career going um, and, and what you've done pretty much ever since then. I think that's awesome. And I think it just shows how sometimes, actually oftentimes, we have these plans for ourselves and we don't realize that there's all kinds of circumstances and people and things that interrupt those plans. And that can be a really, really good thing. And so don't over plan and don't expect everything to go according to plan because often it doesn't. And I think that's very applicable to lawyers because I know a lot of lawyers who start as in one area and over time morph into other areas and then completely pivot, sometimes into re- really, really different practice groups um, based sometimes on you know what's going on in the economy and what they're forced into. And other times, you know, just interests. So I think it's relevant for everybody to kind of think about that, you know? Well, and as you were mentioning earlier, it does allow me to bring a really different perspective because Mm -hmm. I've spent so much time studying marketing and business development, as well as attorney training methods and coaching methods. And so when I'm having discussions around business development, Many attorneys will say, well, you are not an attorney. And and we we can discuss that. Absolutely. I look to that as an advantage that I bring Mm -hmm. to the table because many of your clients are not attorneys. And I bring a different skill set to the table. I bring a different foundation of knowledge to the table. And so um, I I look to that as an advantage. Yeah. And I'm going to speak to that. There's two things I want to speak to. Let's start with that. So something that you know, I don't, I like to think I was one of those attorneys that totally discounted you and people like you back when I practiced, but I'm sure I did to some extent, right? I think attorneys do get caught up in the, well, we're different and nobody else can understand us if they don't live it. But something that I've definitely found since I left my legal practice and started an online business is I now follow all kinds of sales professionals and sale, you know, online marketing specialists and copywriters and sales people, online sales people. And it's not that different really in some ways, but it is in others. And I've learned so much from them that I have found very useful to my current business, but frankly, it translates into how I coach my clients in the business development realm, who are lawyers. And if I had known some of this stuff before, I think I would have been even better at it. (laughs) Because, you know, I think we do tend to, in every industry like this, you get stuck in what everybody else does. And you don't realize that you're tamping down your own creativity. There are other ways. There are new ways to think about things. And that can really help you do a much better job at it. And also, frankly, make it more fun. (laughs) So um, I just wanted to say that. I think it's really important to not just go to fellow lawyers for advice on these things. Something you mentioned before we get into the points we want you came armed and ready to talk about is 
One of the things you mentioned is at one of the firms, you put together an associate business development training program. I find that really interesting because so few firms really deal with business development in the associate realm. Maybe they have a little bit once associates get more senior and they're tagged for partnership. Okay, now you need to start paying attention to it. But it's not usually all that great. (laughs) There's not enough information. And I frankly think they don't start soon enough with any of that. So would you talk a little bit about what you think of, you know, how firms tend to treat associates when it comes to business development and how they might do better at that and why that's so important? Sure. There is a couple things I'll touch on here. I think that You've often probably read in business development articles, it's never too soon to start. And I Mm -hmm. completely agree with that. When you wait until someone is close to partnership or should be preparing for partnership, they've really lost a lot of time that they could have been focused on developing relationships and developing skills so that they already have those in place when it's time to really put them into action. We also approached it from a perspective of how can we be uh, building relationships with peers. So Mm -hmm. for example, at the firm I was at at that time, all of our attorneys had peer relationships with their clients, whether it's a bank or a real estate company or whatever it might be. And so let's advance you together. Let's Mm -hmm. have networking skills sessions. Let's talk about what a fruitful conversation might sound like, right? Let's really provide you with the skills and the knowledge that you need to be advancing these relationships along the way and not waiting until six years down the road. Mm -hmm. So certainly we offered different programming at different points. And we had some programming that was geared to junior attorneys and mid-level and senior and individual coaching wasn't offered until you were at least a third year and had been in the program for a couple of years. And so there are ways to tailor the programming for Mm -hmm. different stages of your career, but there's always something that someone can be learning or thinking about or just exposing themselves to with respect to business development. And I would add to that, I would say that a couple of things here. Number one, a lot of young and mid-level associates feel like well, I don't need to do that yet. And I can't because I have all these billable requirements, right? And so there's no time for that, which we're going to get into the no time in a moment. But um, I think it it's more relevant and it's it's a better, they have a point when their, their billables are really, really high requirements because most partners don't have to bill as much as a lot of associates. And so it is something that I think some, firms might need to look into and to think about, well, do we want to give some credit towards those hours if they're doing real business development work? I mean, there needs to be real training and thought behind what that would mean. But I think in the long term, it's incredibly important for them to be doing it, not just for themselves, but for the firm. Because I think if you support them in that way, they're going to develop better relationships internally and externally in a way where they can see themselves staying longer because it doesn't seem like a lot of associates that I talk to and especially, so I, I work a lot with partners on this, but I've had a fair number of associates and I have a couple right now, clients who are associates who hired me for business coaching. And 
it's like they're wide-eyed and overwhelmed because they've done so little and they realize they're up for partnership in the next one, two, or three years. And there's a lot to get done in that time period. If you start earlier, you feel like you have a better handle of and control over your own career and your practice and where it's going. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I agree. And I, there's a couple other things that you brought up that I'll touch on. I will say that with junior associates, we often start by thinking in terms of internal business development efforts. Who are your Mm -hmm. internal targets? Who are the partners that you want to be getting more work from? And so let's focus on building your relationships with them first. We're not necessarily always looking to external opportunities. But the other thing is that if you start this process early on, you're instilling habits in yourself. Yes. And prioritizing business development as part of your work. That's something that many attorneys struggle with years down the road where they see business development as something separate from work somehow. Right. And so by addressing it early on and incorporating it into the way you approach your work life, it becomes part of your work. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I also agree. I mean, when you're in your first couple of years of practice, you're not going to be doing external business development so much. Although you may attend some networking events, and I actually recommend you do, which is external business development. You need to work on your skills, your networking skills. You need to be comfortable in those situations. And so you do those things, but you're not necessarily going to develop relationships with people that brings in a, a client in the next year at that level. That being said, you're A, developing your skills, B, you definitely need to be doing the internal networking, which further develops your skills, but also creates a much better support system for you. And you also then start to learn how to develop relationships externally too that can become something later. I mean, the number, when I was a baby lawyer, I do remember there were a couple of lawyers who were really big on talking to me about, look, you never know where your work's going to come from years down the road. And this might like seem like forever, but, you know, I got a client 20 years in that I'd known from my second year of practice that we just befriended one another and we kind of stayed on the same track. And I didn't, you know, befriend them originally because I wanted to bring in a bunch of business from them, but I knew it was going to help me just expand my network. And one day, maybe it would be something. And guess what it was? You never know. (laughs) Absolutely. Your law school colleagues, your clients who start at the company, you know, the same time you do, they advance. They become the in-house counsel one day. They advance into these roles where then they do have the opportunity to send you work. And if you wait until they're in-house counsel to try to develop a relationship, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Yeah. Okay. So let's head into, I know you had three kind of big challenges that you see all the time that attorneys are deal with, that that they're really struggling with, I guess you could say. So what is like, I don't know if you're going to rank these as number one, number two, number three, but you are? Yes. Yes, Okay. (laughs) So what is the number one challenge that you see? (laughs) So in, in the past 10 years or so, the number one challenge that attorneys have voiced to me is no time or not enough time for business development. (laughs) How did I know you were going to say that one? (laughs) Okay. So tell me more about how this comes up and what's really going on. Yeah. So Heather, do you mind if I share the other two as well? Because I think we'll be able to tie them together. Perfect. What are the other two? So the other two that I was going to mention are the 
attorney being uncomfortable with the idea of marketing or selling. Mm -hmm. And lastly, the attorney not even knowing where to start, not knowing how to get started with this idea of business development. But as we dig further into each of those challenges, in my opinion, there's really a fourth unvoiced challenge that underlies all three of them, which is a lack of clarity around their goal. And so if we, if we want to come back to the idea of, you know, time being the challenge, when we start to explore that further, one question I really like to ask, because I think it immediately reframes the challenge a bit, is to say, well, how much time would you need for business development? <laughs> and that really stops the conversation for just a moment. <laughs> you know, the attorney pauses and says, I, I I don't know. I don't know. I've not even thought about it in those terms. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And and yet it's very easy to say, well, I don't have enough time for business development because they know their plate is full. So regardless of how much time it would take, their plate is full. And I get that. But if we don't know the goal that you're trying to achieve, then how can we create the right amount of time to work towards that goal? You can't. And you, you don't even know what your strategy is either, right? Which I think goes into your one of your other points, which is they don't know where to even start. There's like exactly. a million different things they could be doing and they don't know where to start. What should I be doing? How should I implement it? Where should I implement it? Well, you know, all this stuff, right? <laughs> you know, I was actually speaking with an attorney earlier this week about the importance of having goal or goals as the starting point of a marketing and business development plan. And he reminded me of an exchange in the story, Alice in Wonderland, where Alice says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the Cheshire cat responds, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. And so it was just such a perfect quote for him to share because it illustrates perfectly that, yes, we can't devise a plan until we know what what it is you're trying to do. That's right. And we can't determine the right amount of time to implement your plan until we know what the plan is. Yeah. And I would say to those who feel like, well, it's so overwhelming. I don't even know where to start. The plan, you have to have a goal. Once you have a goal that helps narrow down, okay, what are the types of things I could do in order to achieve that goal? And then you can go even you know, further into you know, what strategies would make sense for me, given who I am, what I enjoy doing, what I'm good at, my personality, my strengths, all of that, right? But you can't, you can't even begin to narrow it down or do anything about it if you don't have a goal in mind. And too often attorneys think that more work is the goal. (laughs) And so a lot of our work is just around Let's let's put some more detail around that. Yes, let's that's not specific. <laughs> drill down a little bit there. And so it it is possible that your goals are going to be very different from another attorney, at, you know, even at your same firm. We talk about how many clients you would like, what type of work you would like most, how many referrals would would make someone a good referral source for you because if you say I need you know, one new referral source. Well, how many referrals would that person be sending you? Mm -hmm. There's so many ways that we can look at this. And so each of those goals is then going to inform, okay, how would we position you in front of that audience? What strategies would make sense there? Yes, absolutely. And I love that you brought all those different options up because I think I find a lot of times that, as you said, 
they come to me thinking, well, I just want to increase my business. Okay, let's start with by how much. Well, how are all the ways you could increase your business? Like, you know, and they don't, they don't think about it in those terms. And so when you don't, when you don't think about it of exactly, like you need it to be measurable. You need to know what you're measuring, right? It needs to be very specific, but it's not just a dollar amount either. Like you could start there, but then, okay, well, you could increase your business. Let's say you wanted to increase your business by 30%. Okay. That's a number. That's great. It's a great starting point, but it's not enough. You know, where do you want to increase your business? What kind of work do you do? Where, you know, do you want to increase it through current clients? Like, can you get more business from them? How much of it do you want to be that way? If it's new clients, how do you usually get your best work? The kind of clients you actually like? Is it through referrals? Is it through, you know, where do you get that? Like, you need to actually think through those things and then decide, okay, here's where I here's where I actually want to go. It's like your little silos of, well, this percentage comes from here, this percentage comes from here, this percentage comes from here. And until you start thinking in those terms, there's no way to know what strategies to use. <laughs> exactly. But that helps inform the strategies. It helps narrow down what you would even need to be doing. And without that, what I find is a lot of people come to me, well, I do have a specific goal. I have X percent or X amount. But again, it's not specific enough. And what that does is then they're just these scattershot things they're doing. There's no real strategy behind what they're doing. And so then they don't see the results they want because without a strategy, you're usually doing too many things at once, which then makes you give up, which then means you're not really doing anything. And so nothing comes of it. And so as we think back to all three or four, really, of those challenges that we were talking about, we always have to take those few steps back. And before we can develop a way to address the challenge, we really have to dig into, let's assess what that challenge really is first. Mm-hmm. What is what is um, affecting that challenge? What is causing that challenge? Because if you tell me time is your challenge, it, I it's not. really think there's something else going on there. Um, and, and we're going to have to uncover what that is. And then we can plan appropriately because then we can... Um, as you were saying, you know, talk through the right strategy and determine, okay, this is how much time it would take to implement this strategy. So now how do we create this time? What's Mm. on your plate right now? What is on your plate that can be delegated to someone else? What is on your plate that doesn't even need to be on your plate? You know, how can we make your plate bigger? I don't know, right? There's a lot of different ways that we can find the time, right? But we can't find that time until we know how much time we need. I would also say that I I often say there's not one right way to develop business and that goes for time management. Also, Mm -hmm. some attorneys find it helpful to say 30 minutes a day. This is when I focus on business development. That doesn't work for everyone. For other attorneys, (laughs) the amount of time that you can devote to business development is going to vary day to day, week to week, month to month. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay. As long as you're planning in advance and you know what that's going to look like for you. Yeah, I would say, and it depends on what your strategies are, right? So, for example, if one of your strategies is I want to get out there and become an expert in this niche that is kind of a newer area, and in order to do that, I I need my name to get out there. So I'm going to go speak on this in the right kind of professional organizations at some conferences. Well, that is more time-consuming, at least initially, because you need to plan out what you're going to say. You need to put all that together. You need to prepare it. 
once you do that, you can usually utilize it again and again and repurpose it in other ways. And you can repurpose it in written stuff, on social posts. Like There's all these ways to repurpose, which attorneys suck at. It's amazing to me how little they repurpose stuff, right? And I brought this up with a client recently, and she's like, I don't do that. I never thought of that. It's like, yeah, no, you should do that. <laughs> it's so easy to Absolutely. do. And, you know, so yes, it, it requires an upfront time commitment, which is different from somebody who's just primarily using networking. And networking is a definite time commitment, but it's spread out, right? You don't have like this upfront, I need to spend all this time to prepare an outline and then slides and then, my, you know, my talk and the big talking points. Instead, you need to figure out, am I a member of the right associations? What are their meetings? When, you know, get them on your schedule, actually go, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it depends on the strategies that you're using as as far as the time that comes up. And I would say when you when you talk about, you know, 30 minutes per day versus my clients are all over the board on that one. And I can say I had a client who primarily built her business on networking and she would spend 20 to 30 minutes per day, every weekday, right before lunch. That was her time to follow up with people. She just had a regular follow-up schedule. And then, of course, she would go to networking events and have them in her calendar. And she had a certain number she went to every month. And she was she was big on that. And then I've had other clients who are like, they don't think that way. They need to block things. And it's like, you know, twice a month for an hour or once a month for two hours, whatever. They just sit down and they do all their follow-up. And everybody does something differently. So you've got to figure out what works for you and then systematize it as best you can so that it can create, you can create a habit. Well, and I think that comes back to assessing what that challenge really is for you. Yeah. So that you can then create the system that's going to work best for that. Yeah. And, and offload as much as you can. I think lawyers think that they can only delegate um, work, actual law work, but there are people you can delegate marketing and other things to. <laughs> yeah. So and that really varies by, that varies by firm for sure. But I agree completely. There are resources for that. Yeah. So what else? What else have we, you know, not fully discussed here? I think we've talked about the time and how you deal with it. We've talked about some of that overwhelm and not knowing where to start and needing to have a goal. Is there anything we've missed so far? So we haven't really touched on those who are uncomfortable with the idea mm, of marketing yeah. and selling. So what do you tell people who, you know, I hear this all the time. I'm a lawyer. I'm not a salesperson. I didn't go to school to be an online marketer. I didn't, you know, these kind of comments that suggest that marketing and selling is beneath them. It's pushy. It's salesy. It's gross. And for some of them, it's not that, although they'll say that. It's really because they feel awkward doing it and they they don't like it personally. And I've noticed a lot of people who would be self-described introverts, especially saying these things. So how about you? How do you find this showing up and what do you tell them? I do think there still are people with this outdated, stereotypical view of a pushy salesperson. And when I discuss this with attorneys, again, we try to reframe it a little bit and say, well, who is it that, that you are trying to sell your services to? And why are you trying to sell your services to them? 
how might they benefit from your services? Mm -hmm. Okay. So really what you're doing is providing a value to them. And so then, you know, we're able to get to this point where we can reframe and shift our mindset a little bit to say, well, you're not trying to just sell your services to random people. You're trying to provide a service to those who need it, Mm -hmm. which is a valuable asset to them. That is a, you know, a valuable service that they will benefit from. And so when you shift to a mindset of service rather than selling, that often creates a very uh, different reaction from attorneys. And I do want to point out that David Freeman wrote a book about this several years ago. So this is not my brilliant idea here, but uh, (laughs) it is one that I have adopted and really um, taken to heart because I think it's so on point and really resonates with attorneys that I'm not suggesting you just sell your services to anyone, but really find the people who would benefit from them. And then you're providing a service to those in need. Well, and so I never, I've heard of the book. I never read it. I remember struggling this with this myself as an attorney. And the way I started thinking about it, though, was, okay, when I go to like a department store and I'm looking for something specific, there's two types of salespeople there, right? There's the one that comes in and just seems a little annoying, a little pushy, a little aggressive. And the reason why they are, they feel that way to me is because they're trying to push stuff I don't, I'm not interested in. But then there's those that we go to and they say, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Are you looking for something specific? And then I tell them. And I'm like, oh, well, here's what we've got. And oh, by the way, this is on sale. So you may want to check that out. And just let me know if, if you need any help. And then they'll come in and check in on me. And then they'll, the next thing I know, I've purchased from them. And often I've purchased more than what I just went there for. But they never pushed anything on me. <laughs> right? They're yeah. there to serve me, to ask really good questions, to figure out what it is I need and want, and to help me find it. And that's really what lawyers are. You know, we tend to think of the the people who knock on our doors that are trying to sell something and they're really aggressive, but that's not what lawyers are doing. You know, we are providing services to help people when they really need it. And so when you tap into that, when I tapped into that, it was like, oh, that's totally different. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love your salesperson analogy. I think we've all experienced that, you know, the salesperson that you, that you found helpful, I'm guessing also did not tell you how many items they had previously sold or why they had won so many awards for being the best salesperson, (laughs) Nope. but rather they demonstrated their knowledge of the products and the service and asked the questions that, made you realize they are very good at their job. Yes. Yeah, it's about showing, not telling. I remember also very clearly as a baby lawyer, there were these two attorneys I worked for a lot, and I would go to, like, client lunches with them. And one attorney, and I've had, I don't know if you've seen some of my posts recently on LinkedIn, attorney A versus attorney B. Um, (laughs) These are real-life people that I learned (laughs) from that I saw, right? So – Let's go with attorney A. Attorney A would go to lunch and she would say things like, well, you know, I'd really love to work for you. And, you know, I I do all of these XYZ deals and I closed X number of them this last year. And it just always felt very flat and felt awkward. Like you could tell what she was trying to do and nobody was like reciprocating. And I hated those lunches. They were like torture for me. (laughs) 
And then Attorney B, I would go to lunch with, and he never said anything like that. Instead, he would ask really good questions. He would figure out what the client or prospective client was struggling with, what challenges they were facing, what deals they'd recently worked on. And he'd pick up on issues that would come up generally in our industry and start, well, have you thought of, or what about this? Or, you know what? We dealt with that with a client recently. Let me tell you how we handled that. Maybe that would help you out. Totally service-based. It sells <laughs> because they see your expertise. And I don't mean to take away from the amount of experience that anyone has or the amount of awards that anyone has won. There is a place for mm-hmm. all, you know all of that information to be shown on your bio and uh, and potential clients will ask for representative matter lists and they will ask to see information about you so there is a place for all of that but to your point all of that's also going to show through in yes. your conversations if you're approaching conversations from a perspective of let me ask well-informed thoughtful questions let me find out the information that will help us to move forward in a conversation together. Yeah, I always like to think of those awards and nominations and all that stuff. They're nice to have because they kind of, you know, they help like backstop the credibility and they help, uh, especially with certain types of companies and organizations, when they've decided they like you, helps through the process to create credibility on paper, right? But you don't need to be talking about them when you're talking one-on-one with people. They're just there. You know, it's not like we go out there and we always talk about all the stuff we put on our resumes. You don't need to. You might post about it once on, you know, LinkedIn to let people know and just let it speak for itself. But you don't need to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think this idea of being uncomfortable with selling, it's also a lot of times why people are uncomfortable with the idea of networking. Because Mm -hmm. they often say, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. And I say... Well, don't think in terms of what are you going to say, think in terms of what are you going to ask? Yes. Because you don't need to be talking about yourself. You need to be learning about what they're, you know, what the other person is doing or focused on or that sort of thing. So I think it's a, a similar challenge and it's addressed in a similar way. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I like to have my clients come up with a couple of questions that they go in with, that they start with around, you know, what, you know, what are you working on? What are your big challenges? What's going And sometimes it depends on the industry they're in, the type of client they ha- they're looking for, and then what's going on in that industry, because sometimes there's hot topics, so they can ask questions around that. But go in with a couple and ask one of them and just see where it goes. All you have to do is have one or two questions ready, and then the conversation kind of just naturally goes. And the next thing you know, they've done 80% of the talking. You've done 20%. Most of it is questions and a couple of comments here and there. If you have something to add that can help them, you add that in. And they think they've had the best conversation ever because they've gotten to talk about stuff that excites them and interests them. And it's it, you're like, wow, I, I didn't... It, it wasn't like that much of a conversation because it was mostly you talking, but then you get a ton of intel from them. <laughs> so Exactly. Yes. And it's perfect for introverts because then there's no pressure on you at all. And it's just about connecting with a human being one-on-one as you have a conversation with them, which anybody can do. And in fact, introverts are usually better at this than extroverts. <laughs> I would tend to agree with that. And so I think what we've really touched on today is that with any of these challenges, there are ways to address them. It's really about finding the right person to have a conversation with, talk through that challenge, 
fully get to the underlying challenges, and then you'll be able to create that path forward. Absolutely. And for those of you at mid to larger firms, you probably have people within your organization that are there for this. So start utilizing them. And if not, or even if you do and you feel like, you know what, I need somebody else, there's plenty of people like me out there who help, you know, externally who can help you with this. Just go out there and do it because I like to tell my clients it's not rocket science. Business development really isn't as hard as you think. It just takes some consistent work over time. That is not going away. But the key is learning to do the right work, the stuff that lights you up, that you enjoy, that if you enjoy it, it lights you up. You're going to be a lot more effective at it, which means you'll have a better return on investment, and it's not going to feel like so much work. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Tell people where they can find you, maybe like on LinkedIn or something. Yeah. And thank you so much for inviting me on. Always enjoy talking about this. For anyone who would like to connect, I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn. Um, You can look me up at Marianne Lee and I I would be happy to connect on LinkedIn. And I will put uh, your LinkedIn connection in the show notes so that people can go there and find you. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much, Heather. You too. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. There was a wealth of information shared with you that I think anybody in private practice, whether you are a first, second, or third year, a more senior associate or a partner, can gain from it. And one of the things that I wanted to highlight was the whole, you need to have a goal. You need to know where you're going and why and get really specific. And something I wanted to note for you is if you would like to get started on that, I invite you to join me for the year-end Life and Law Learning Series. On December 15th, I am holding a goal-setting workshop so that you can set your goals for next year and make sure they really are the right goals, specific enough and you know, goals that really light you up so that you will go out and be motivated to achieve them. If you are interested in that, I will include a link to sign up for that workshop. It will be held via Zoom in the show notes. We will be talking next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow and or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.